lot of companies are actually leaning into brand um, and not just throwing, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars out on, on it's, it's, it's a very saturated market, right? Like we all know everyone's in the game of, of paid ads and, and sending a bunch of emails and doing LinkedIn posts and, or, or sending in paid LinkedIn um, emails to your inbox. And so I think you got to kind of take a step back and really focus on, on positioning, on your, on your company narrative, on your, you know, C-level um, narrative, on, on what you're actually like an expert on, and then really build on, on your POV, right? What actually separates you? What, what value are you adding? And so it starts with organic and like, what is your voice? Um, and then building off of that on, on specific channel experimentation, right? It's like, in an, an ideal world, you've got your CEO having a platform and talking about a topic, and you've got select experts within your organization who are experts around regulations or security or data privacy or consumer protections, and and they have a platform so that folks are actually listening to them and saying, "Hey, they're 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 helping me, right? I'm I'm learning this this area, and I'm following this person because what kind of content I'm reading every time they make a post is is helpful for me, right? So it's being helpful." Welcome back, everyone, on the fourth episode of the East Peak Podcast. I have the pleasure of introducing Lauren Volpe. Um, Lauren has over 20 years experience in marketing and has had some tours of duty at brands including Pivotal Software and its parent company, VMware, uh, as well as Mixpanel. And she's currently the SVP of marketing at DataGrail. Uh, welcome, Lauren. Thank you. Nice to be here. Happy, uh, happy December. Ditto, ditto. Chris is right around the corner here. So awesome. Well, um, in keeping with the theme of this podcast, I'm mostly talking to, you know, operators that make the GTM world go round. Um, a lot of the seed and early stage businesses I speak with, um, I found just find a lot of value hearing from people like yourself that have really deep experience in their respective domains. And so um, today we'll just talk about, you know, in your opinion, what great looks like in the marketing world. Um, but maybe before we jump into that, um, what can you share with us kind of about your current role and remit and, and what you do um, at DataGrill? Yeah, that's that's a great way to start. So I've been at DataGrill for about three months. And for those of you who haven't heard of DataGrill, it's been around since 2018 and we're in the data privacy space. And so um, I think the use case there are um, brands that have a ton of traffic, consumer brands specifically like Nike or Overstock.com or Restoration Hardware, where they're collecting a ton of information from consumers and uh, regulations have passed like CCPA and GDPR and all sorts of laws have, have been created over the past you know five or six years, um, starting in 2018, where it's created this um, pressure where consumers are now realizing they want there's all this data out there, right? So there's proliferation of data and consumers are realizing, hey, like I don't want all my information being locked in in all these applications and systems. And so people are getting uh, agency to be able to request that data back from these, these companies. And uh, we all know about data breaches and the stories around Sephora and 23andMe where, where these, these companies get hacked and your personal information is, is getting misused. And so I think the, the culmination of what's happening in with, with regulations, consumer rights, 
and then brand trust and loyalty is is created this amazing space in solving a problem where we've automated those requests. So Gartner basically has estimated it takes 50 hours on average for every data subject request. So if I, Lauren Volpe, say, hey, Nike, I want all my personal information I've ever given to you when I'm using your run app or bought shoes in the store. If they don't have a software to automate all of that, it can take them upwards of 50 hours per request and 13 or 14 people trying to look across all the all the different systems where your data may be sitting. So I joined Data Grail because I think their their mission of, of what they're trying to solve for it is truly um, solving a real problem and and creating you know one reducing risk, two creating brand loyalty, and three I think it's it's just going to change even more with um, generative AI right, which is also another example of like proliferation of data in data out and companies not being able to understand where that data is going. Totally. It sounds like, uh, you know, the timing's really right to solve the problem that you all are solving over there, um, both from like a compliance and just like customer need perspective. So very cool. Um, Awesome. So, you know, I've had the privilege of working um, both with you, but lots of other great marketing leaders in my personal career. And I've kind of seen this arc and correct me if you think about it differently, but it seems like once upon a time, um, a lot of the remit of general marketing leaders was brand oriented and the extent to which they were involved in the selling motion involved uh, trade show booths and maybe some flyers and stuff like that in the good old days. And fast forward to maybe like 10 years ago, you know, demand generation has increasingly been an important part of the remit of marketing leaders. Um, How do you kind of think of like balancing those two extremes today? And, you know, maybe personally, is there one side of the equation you, you lean to more than the other? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, having done this this job for, you know, as, as we talked about 20 years, I've seen lots of different stages of companies. I've worked for public stage companies. I've worked for, you know, small stage startups. And I think, um, you know, marketing is one of those uh, challenging, um, you know, areas that's, that's hard. It's, it's, it is both art and science. And, and, and the reason behind that is, is it's both a feeling and an emotional reaction you're trying to get from your customers. It's the tip of the sphere of, of you know, when you're driving down a highway, right, the most tangible example is what does that billboard say? And does it does it say something that that creates a response in you that make, that generates curiosity? Or if you're at an event, and you're walking by all these different booths, and someone says something to you that wants you to invites you in, right? Like, do you want to want to get a demo or, or learn more about that product if it's per, trying to solve a problem for you? Um, and then there's all these like household brands, right, of like wanting to be associated with these um, with these companies because they, they, they make you feel like you're a part of something, some like inside club, right. And Apple's like a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything's been digitized. Right. So when I started in marketing 20 years ago, it was like going by trade show booths and reading collateral. And now, and now most people are doing their research online. Right. So that whole idea of being PLG focused and wanting, um, to make sure that customers can do all the research up front without necessarily having to engage with, with the sales team until they're ready. So I do think that there is a balance, like the way I look at marketing as a whole is it is you need um, three three areas of focus and, and you can't just do one without the other, to be honest, three areas of focus. So um, one on the left being um, product marketing and, and product marketing is probably one of the toughest jobs within the marketing organization. And, and those folks are really um, in charge of what I, what I bucket into perception, right? So how do you position yourselves? And, you know, April Dunford, she does, um, publishes a great book, Awesomely Awesome. It's like, 
The job mm -hmm. of the product marketer is to take what your product's actually solving and then drill it down into something that's digestible so that you can um, awk both words and some sort of visual architecture to say, hey, I'm looking at five different vendors. Why does why does this vendor stand out with the value proposition that I should be looking at X vendor versus Y? And so I think the job of the product marketer is to help them get closer to that decision, whether it's build versus buy or looking at your, your competitors. And so, um, you know, that everything you see with presentations, right? The messaging that a sales rep says to you in that first conversation, um, how do you respond when they're asking about other competitors? That's the, per the people behind that on the marketing team are the, are the PMMs. Mm -hmm. And then moving over, I think the second area that we talked about brand marketing is, is still so important. Like I was just at a PLG company mix panel where they leaned heavy. We doubled down on our brand investment because we had 8,000 customers. And so, um, people in India or Brazil, like knowing that mixed panel helped them find product market fit was like a, a signal that like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing a cool startup and this is, and I should be using mixed panels as I'm trying to get money from my investors. And so mm -hmm. brand is also so important. It's about storytelling and that narrative and that feeling. Um, and so if you don't have strong brand, then, then you've got like a fragmentation challenge where your CS team is is saying something different to their customers than your sales team is saying to prospects and your marketing team is saying one thing on the website, but then it's it's not consistent. And so brand is so important because you, for a few reasons, one, you want everyone singing from the same song sheet and, and you want to be able to have a holistic, comprehensive approach in how you talk to the market, whether that's investors or analysts or press or your customers, like you've got to have that foundation of brand. And, and ironically, we're going through a rebrand right now um, just for that reason. It's been underinvested. And, and, and I think what happens if you don't have a strong brand, then you have a lot of activity and a lot of movement, mm -hmm. but it doesn't, it doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel connected. Um, and so I think brand has this ability to, for that, to create that connective tissue and that feeling um, for your customers. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is demand gen, right? So that's kind of my like wheelhouse where I've spent a lot of the better part of my last 10 years of my career. And, and that area I think has seen a ton of um, growth and change because of um, integrated campaigns and how powerful they are. Um, all the data that marketers can now see of, of what a customer is doing, right? We've got visibility into the first time you come to a website from, you know, clicking on a social post to, we know you attended a trade show and then came to this dinner and, and I think the power of that, I think, is um, super interesting, but also super creepy, right? <laughs> because mm -hmm. you know we can we can see it um, all too well how a customer buys, and and that's all that ICP work of like, who's your ideal customer profile? What personas you're going after? What kind of offers you want to give to them to compel them to take action? And so I think like demand gen is is great, but it also can be really messy if you don't. Um, put it all together into these strategic campaigns. And when I say strategic campaigns, meaning you segment a specific audience with a specific offer, and then you drive across like a, a channel strategy, right? So right now we're doing a competitive campaign as an example, going after an existing customer base and basically giving them a discount. And we're using very specific channels and ads um, and working across CS and finance um, to make sure we, we can basically rip and replace um, those customers off of that. So I think that's the three groups really working together is, is truly like a really powerful, um, marketing organization. 
Great. I think that's a fantastic summary for people that have been like kind of tangential to marketing, but never really seen it all put together like that. Um, so that's a great summary. Thanks for that. Right. Um, yeah, I'm definitely like, um, you know, I, I think the pendulum can swing back and forth and in trends and in industry and stuff, but I'm increasingly like much more sympathetic to like, obviously like the, the PMs, like I've had the pleasure of working with great ones over the years at New Relic and elsewhere, but um, like, you know, the the role that brand plays, like, I think there was this kind of uh, infatuation for a while there that you really could measure and monetize everything when it came to demand gen. And I think what we're seeing, at least from my perspective, is Google is kind of choking on its own exhaust as we reach the tail end of the SEO era and content marketing era. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not really as dependable as it used to be. And so many of the metrics that seem to work with the demand waterfall mm -hmm. from MQL to opportunity to close really seem to have broken since we've kicked off SaaSmageddon here. And so I think it's it's really showing just like how important, you know, brand is, right? Because I heard someone say this awesome quote the other day, which is like, no one just does a Google search like de novo for no reason, right? Like yeah. you and I talk about a cool product or a new company or a different way of doing something. And you might come through Google, but like that isn't really the source of it in the way that we might label it web or, yeah. you know, Google. And so like, I think like stepping back and having a more holistic focus of like, where are people having conversations about us or about this problem and engaging them there, particularly from a brand perspective, I think is super important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is touching a lot on Chris Walker and, and what he says about the dark funnel, right. And how attribution mm -hmm. is broken and, and really at the end of the day, like where people are having all sorts of conversations with their peers, right. There's, they're asking, you know, who are you working with? They're talking to their analysts. They're, um, you know, looking on, on, um, online forums that, that marketing can't track. And so that's mm -hmm. this idea of like, he's always says like, when you, when you ask, when you're collecting information, it's like, well, where did you hear from us? Right. We all get mm -hmm. that, that drop down. Um, because I think oftentimes that tracking is broken. Um, you know, I'm in a direct, I work for a company that I, I was at PLG companies. Now we're direct sales. And so we're moving in this ABS, ABM kind of motion. And I think it's, um, in order to, to win over and, and close these large enterprises, right? These deals are very long. They could be six to 12 months and you've got to engage with upwards of four to 10 people on any deal cycle, right? We know now more than ever, people are reducing their budget, consolidating software, CFOs involved, CIOs involved, you know, and all of a sudden you've got to appease all these buyers, or at least influence them to be able to make a case for why they should consider, you know, spending money on you. Um, and so I, I think it's, it is requires a lot of cross-functional communication and really getting in the huddle with your CS, SDR, sales, marketing, and executive leadership team so that you really can surround these accounts and have discussions at an account by account level. And, and you and I mm -hmm. did this, right? We, at, when we were at Sigma together, we would go after each, each deal and we used MedPick, right? And so between everyone, we can know like, hey, we're, are we talking to the right champion? Do we need to go outbound to this missing person? Or hey, we're engaged in an early sales cycle marketing. Can you go retarget them with some specific ads and messaging because we haven't been able to connect with you know X X Y and Z person? And mm -hmm. so I think that's where the the most powerful type of um, effective 
cross-functional, you know, trying to win over new business and, and expand over existing business happens is when you really don't speak in these large waves of, of funnels and you're not looking at just the conversion rates. Like those conversion rates are, are good for finance and good for budget justification and understanding where you should spend mm-hmm. more money or, or wind down money. And it makes a ton of sense, right? Like I can just say like, we're not optimizing for this channel on LinkedIn. So let's spend less here, but it's mm-hmm. not going to help, help um, us build a strategic plan for an entire year on where we want to take bets and, and, and how we can actually move the needle to like, you know, grow our business by 30, 40, 50%. Um, you can't do that by <laughs> spending more money on PPC and, and just driving a bunch of paid spend. So long winded answer. <laughs> Preach. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think the thing that's insidious about these funnels and Chris Walker, I know you alluded to says this a lot, but like, you know, an MQL is not fungible like a dollar, right? Like they vary a lot in the way that they come in, whether it's pretty direct hand raising or an ebook download. And I think a lot of times if you're not sophisticated, you can throw them all in the funnel and miss some like really important patterns. So when you are able to do that, um, you know, surround an account and like a true ABM motion, like that is really powerful. We could do it. And I think it is so much easier to do it at a smaller stage company like that. So it is. Yeah. And I'm cool. an example, right. Is like, we're not, we are only passing over hand raisers, right. Part of the winning the trust back with sales and marketing is like, we're not going to mm. pass over every content download or every time someone watched a webinar, like we all know you see a piece of content. I don't want sales knocking at my door. Like I'm not ready to have a demo yet. I'm still just scraping the surface. Like I need a little time to warm up. And then when I do want to have a demo, I will ask for it. I will be ready and and willing to talk to an expert. And so I think it's just about really um, the education and and warm up phase. Um, And then the other piece is that, um, you know, just all these different touch points and and making sure that um, you are giving them enough time and, and the right content so that they can make an educated decision. So it's, I think it's a little bit of a blend of like what PLG has done and, and really thinking about the consumer, but then also still showing up and having like a, an expert in seat to help to have that conversation when, when a customer is ready to, to talk. Awesome. I really like that. You know, like, I think it demonstrates like an empathy with your buyer, right? You're like trying to put yourself in their shoes. Like, how are they thinking about it? Like, what is the typical lead time? How, how might they engage with you? And, uh, I appreciate you not going after people just because they signed up for an e-form. The amount of SDRs I've had to tell off since uh, I started doing consulting by myself that I'm a one-person band is uh, <laughs> it's a lot. So yeah, exactly. okay, yeah. So um, you know, we 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 talked about or touched on a little earlier how things have changed since money stopped being free. Um, we've all been challenged to do more with less. Like, how how are you thinking about? personally like doing more with less or like trying to be more efficient with the spend and and budgets you've been allocated? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a lot of companies are actually leaning into brand, um, and not just throwing, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars out on, on it's, it's, it's a very saturated market, right? Like we all know everyone's in the game of, of paid ads and, and sending a bunch of emails and doing LinkedIn posts and, or, or sending in paid LinkedIn, um, emails to your inbox, and so I think you got to kind of take a step back and really focus on on positioning on your on your company narrative on your you know C level um, narrative on on what you're actually like 
an expert on and then really build on on your POV, right? What actually separates you? What what value are you adding? And so it starts with organic and like, what is your voice? Um, and then building off of that on, on specific channel experimentation, right? It's like in an, an ideal world, you've got your CEO having a platform and talking about a topic and you've got select experts within your organization who are experts around regulations or security or data privacy or consumer protections. And, and they have a platform so that folks are actually listening to them and saying, Hey, they're, they're, they're helping me, right? I'm, I'm learning this, this area and I'm following this person because what kind of content I'm reading every time they make a post is, is helpful for me. Right. So it's being helpful. Um, and I think the other thing is, is then experimenting on, on the organic, right? Like you don't have to pay for, for content. You've got to obviously pay for the people, but I don't, mm-hmm. I think marketing, we could be a little bit more prudent on not just promoting everything, but really like testing it and running these experiments and seeing what sticks. And then also looking across other channels, right? Because email is so saturated and, and Instagram and Twitter, it's like this, it's this echo chamber. Um, and so I think areas like Substack are interesting where that's been kind of a homegrown bottoms up way for, for folks who have a strong POV can build out um, messaging and, and really helpful content. And then people can follow without feeling like they're getting hit over the head with a bunch of ads. Um, and then I think on, on events, right. It's just, there's, you see a resurgence, right. And going back to like what works and what doesn't work. Like, I think people do want to get out of their house. They're sick of doing these like zoom happy hours where they send you liquor and you sit on a zoom call. And I think there's, there's a purpose and a place to still have virtual type of um, programs and, and, and doing office hours and meeting folks. Like I think that will continue. Um, but I was just at a, a C-level um, event down in Half Moon Bay two weeks ago and it was packed with 200 C-level executives. They, they mm. were very eager to go there to actually network with their peers. They were actually spending more time outside the actual keynote room. Like there was, there was barely anyone actually attending the sessions. They were all there for the hallway chatter and they really were going booth by booth trying to figure out what people, what, what vendors were offering and, and is this something that fits into their you know 2025 priorities. So I, I do believe there's a place and purpose for events in all of this. It's just going to the right ones and, and not just showing up to everything, hoping for a different outcome. And so the way I look at different things is like, back to what I said at the top of the the episode, it's awareness, perception, and sales growth, right? Like have a strategy for why you would do everything. Are you, are you trying to build awareness with your market? Are you trying to create a certain uh, message to your audience? And then three, are you trying to get them to to buy you, right? To, to show up. And so I think every single channel or piece of content should fall in into those buckets and should fall into to a, a different campaign segmentation. Um, so it feels organized and we're not um, we're not being divisive with what messages we're saying to the same audiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to the uh, in-person event, I've been trying to be more intentional about doing like mixers in San Francisco. Um, I think, yeah, just the this, this serendipity, like you're saying, kind of like those hall conversations, like it is so powerful when you talk to people that are a similar position or facing similar problems. It's like great. So uh, I love where your headspace is with that in terms of bringing a lot of value to your buyers or prospects. Um, you mentioned Substack. Like I'm a huge fan. I, I probably get like dozens of them a week. But um, you know, in particular, uh, I used to smile when I heard you or your last employer mix panel come on as a sponsor on like Lenny's podcast. Um, wh- what are your thoughts on like some of these emerging mediums like that? Like. W- 
were you able to see any interesting uh, results from from that, uh, I guess, mode of advertising? Yeah, we, we tried quite a few different podcasts, um, you know, out in Europe and with different um, audiences. And I'd say that um, it is, it, it has different elevations, right? Because our, on one hand, we wanted to get in front of net new, bigger enterprises. And so we went after more of an executive level podcast. And then we were going after PM, right? They're our, they're our, our key um, end user and stakeholder and champion. And so being associated with Lenny's was was a big part of just like the nod to like we know that um, he is speaking to really amazing PMs who've gone through all different stages of and challenges in their career. And so people are tuning in. Um, and I think it's just more of that subtle, to your point, it's like it's a dark funnel thing, right? It's hard to measure, but... I think there's that familiarity where um, when, when people do go into that evaluation or research phase, that makes panel hopefully shows up as like one of their, their key, you know, vendors as, as they're um, looking to, to make a choice. I will say like, we did see a huge uptick in our offer. We, we did like a, a really amazing startup program where we were giving basically $50,000 in credits in a whole year for free mm. for startups. And, and during the past few years, right, like there's not a ton of money. So I, I do, we did see a, a huge uptick in, in surge of, of demand for that startup plan. And then a year after, right, it was a 70% uh, opportunity to close one rate for people who were then willing to spend money on, on buying Mixpanel because we created that stickiness. And hopefully some of that interest came from hearing about Mixpanel in, in those channels like podcast ads, but hard to measure, but it's just a feeling. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. The, what I've heard is, or some interesting ways to think about like the impact on brand is like, you know, if your cycle is, you know, X amount of days or months long, you know, you're running a campaign, like run the thought experiment and kind of pre-publish your expectations ahead of time. Like what would you expect to see in terms of a lift, you know, maybe in H2 or something and just see like, does that manifest? Even if it is in a classical, like first or last touch or U-shape attribution model, like comes in as something else, like are you seeing that lift? Um, yeah. I think it's probably, I should think about it. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, actually kind of running with that thought a little bit. Um, you know, I, I've been involved in, you know, many annual planning sessions uh, at this point in my career, as I'm sure you have. Um, and a lot of times you kind of have this top down dictate from the board and the C-suite and you're told to do X and Y with, you know, Z budget. And you come back to them and you're like, well, here are the historicals and assuming uh, some increase here and there, you know, it's just, it's hard to make the ends meet. And that's kind of when the wrestling happens a little bit. Um, how, how do you think about like meeting uh, executives and teams, you know, or, or kind of getting those ends to meet when you go through those cycles? Since I know that's like on a lot of people's mind right now, we're approaching the end of the calendar year and, and people pretty deep in annual planning. Yeah. So the, just to dig in a little bit, so how do we how do we make sure we're aligned on like less budget and and then big, more demands from board and and an executive team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like how do you? Because you know it's it's easy, I think. You know, particularly if you're less experienced than you are, to be like, oh yeah, like I'll sign up for that number or I can th do that thing instead of you know pushing back and maybe making a case on like what you think is like a reasonable goal to deliver for the business. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think. Um, the one thing that you've got to really be as a marketer is you have to be super data driven and, and you have to go in and really to your point, like look at the historical data so that you can 
come back with an with a um informed response if you don't think that you're going to be able to hit that plan right and so things like how long does a deal cycle take what is what are the conversion rates for going after mid market versus commercial versus enterprise um how many people does it take what is the cac right it's just like there's all these different um you know variables and and you know the the relationship that a marketing team has to have with the finance team or the operation team has to you are tied at the hip because we are building these models bottoms up and top down trying to figure out how do we feasibly hit these ambitious goals set by the board when we know that our conversion rates are you know abysmal and so it's a little bit of that push and pull and a lot of why i think during these past couple of years businesses are saying hey net new business is going to be way harder than if we do these land and expands and expand to our existing customer base and so i think it's it is definitely a ongoing dialogue and something where you know marketers have to be rooted in data and be able to and present factual information to make a case for why you know you may not be completely aligned and and you're coming at it from a different direction um and so being able to to come into a room with with that case and and share it i think has been well received um and so you know for me personally like my OKRs and my bonus structure changed and and I was able to to um negotiate right with with the team. So I think it 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 would be and I've been in the place where I've just blindly said yes, right? So I think it's years of failure and and realizing that I'm not being set up for success and mm-hmm. then you know running a fool's errand that I've now learned that you know I I don't just have to just take it and say yes, but go back, be thoughtful come come back with a an alternative um presentation and then hopefully it's met with a team who sees that thoughtfulness and data and says like wow like Lauren's really thinking about this okay maybe we we need to to relook at it cuz mm-hmm. um i think we've all seen in the last couple of years like businesses do keep on missing their targets and they have to they have to adjust them so being able to flag that early on <laughs> is probably the right thing to do right if you can see that that it doesn't feel like we're we're all going to be able to have these hockey stick type growth trajectories um, in these next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been interesting <laughs> the last couple of years. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, kind of read the tea leaves, you know, we had an interesting, uh, you know, f- fed announcement come recently that they're probably going to stop the interest rate raises and hinted at maybe like lowered rates next year, which generally has historically boded really well for tech. Um, you know, if you look into your crystal ball, um, obviously you guys are probably like a little insulated from parts of the market, just being in compliance world or or compliance adjacent. Um, Mm -hmm. it's something that people have to do. Um, but like, what are, uh, what are you seeing? Are are you seeing, uh, green shoots in the market in generally next year? Like, you know, when you talk to marketing peers, like what, what's the, uh, the thought? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a few areas why people will spend money and, and will buy, right. It's like, they've either got to, um, create operational efficiency. They've got to reduce risk or they've got to scale and grow, or they're buying something that'll help them, you know, like generate more revenue. And so I think you really just got to pick your lane and, and focus in on 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 what is actually going to help um, 
your business most. And so we we fit into the the reduced risk and 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 creating operational efficiency, meaning, you know, we're we're really touching on the pain points of like you are you are spending an exorbitant amount of money on very um strategic resources doing very manual processes. And actually that creates a ton of risk because of human error. And so I think if we just like create urgency and really tap into those pain points that that's what's keeping a CISO up at night, right? Mm-hmm. These guys have an average tenure of two years. And so they can't afford, right, to be vulnerable. Um, and then there's these massive organizations, right? Like I was talking about at the top of the call, like our ICP, that need to buy a solution because their their alternative is like doing nothing, which means they're using Excel and email to manage these requests, or they're using OneTrust, which is like poor customer support and has is the old kind of first mover, but not, not the best solution. And so I think it's really just tapping in into the pain and we are actually solving a real problem. And then on top of that, like creating urgency, right? Because there's just more and more regulations that are coming in. Um, and so people just can't afford to to keep on avoiding it. And so it, those are the companies that are are buying us and we've had we've doubled some of our sales cycles in terms of speed, right? Mm. Because um, we've presented a case in which they realize like, yeah, this is, this seems silly to, to keep making 12 people manage a, a data subject request. And then I will say we, we dropped commercial, right? So for the moment we're focusing on companies that have budget and aren't, you know, being hit as hard by this tech recession mm-hmm. and we're moving away from tech B2B companies and focusing on these consumer brands, um, which are have a, a longer life and and do have budget, um, and it is a priority. So we've kind of moved away from the tech sector, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it's kind of what's what's happening. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, the the regular economy is doing great. I mean, we had like four point five percent GDP growth over the last year. Um, just yeah. I, I mean, I'm seeing that a lot, like with the companies I'm advising and working with. It's like if they can, like either a, you know, everyone wants to pivot up market. Everyone says that. Not everyone can. Um, but if they can, they do. And I, I really like that you guys are trying to focus like outside of SaaS. Because um, mm-hmm. I think it is, it's been a little too like the serpent eating its tail. It's it's all like, it's like SaaS companies selling to SaaS companies all the way down is is not great. So yeah. very cool. Um, awesome. So I thought we could um, kind of bend towards a close here with a couple kind of final general questions. But um is there anything in particular? I know, I know we talked about um, some areas of opportunity and things like that, but is there anything in particular you're getting really excited about in marketing writ large right now, or anything that kind of? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm really excited. I I'm really um, inspired and motivated by Emily Kramer and Kathleen Eistrick. They have this Market One newsletter that they've just been publishing just amazing, tangible, helpful, free content for the last, I don't know, year or so. And they've also got their own angel um, investment. Um, so I would just say like a shout out to if you're if you're a marketer and, and trying to, you know, build your first reporting model or, or build your first marketing team or create integrated campaigns, like check out their their newsletter. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the um, very easy to use content that, that they've created. Um, and it's been really fundamental. I think so many companies just need internal education on what marketing does and, and how it interacts. And that's been a really great way to like tie it to the rest of the business. Um, and so I'm excited about about what what's going on there because I think, you know, 
pro like having been in the product world for so long, it's very measurable. Everyone understands what their, the role is, whereas marketing is a little bit more obtuse and, and opaque on, on getting it. And so I think we're getting to a, a world in which integrated campaigns is really the path to connecting where marketing sits within the organization, meaning it's, it's the entire, it sits across the entire customer journey. Right. And so as, as you're, um, thinking about how to approach, you know, winning over customers or expanding to net new ones, I think do, running integrated campaigns is something that wakes me up in the morning and gets me super excited because it really brings like everyone together. And it's like a big rallying cry for, for how to win certain segments of your market and CS and sales and product and marketing are all cheering and, and winning together. Very cool. I will definitely second that. Their, their assets are awesome. Like when I talk to companies that are looking for marketing advice, it's like point them at the sub stack. They've been doing great stuff. So I will definitely link to that in the show notes. Um, cool. All right. Last two questions. So um, for someone that's considering getting into marketing today, um, maybe they're a recent college graduate or indulging like a career pivot, like what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say get into any area of, of marketing, right? Like roll up your sleeves and, and just try all of the different um, sub kind of specialties. So, you know, learning digital and social and event marketing and customer marketing and product marketing, brand marketing, like marketing ops, like I think there's there's so many different levels of the craft, but some of the best marketers that that I've known or worked with, they've been able to to be a Swiss Army knife and spend a little time in each one and just be curious and and that on, on the job learning is is huge, right? You don't go to you don't go to grad school to get your degree in marketing. You you definitely learn it on the job. So my advice is is whatever your entry point is, just get as much exposure as possible and purely by osmosis, right? Like see what other people are doing and learning around you and just get that hands-on experience. And then when there's a chance to try something out and do a stretch project, like raise your hand, because that's the only way you're going to, you're going to get better is just, is just rolling up your sleeves and, and getting your hands dirty. Love it. Okay, great. Well, um, Lauren, if anyone uh, wants to get a hold of you or maybe learn more about Data Grail, what would be a great way to do that? Ooh, good question. Probably just connect with me on LinkedIn. That's probably where I'm the most active. Um, and yeah, for in terms of, of Data Grail, uh, we will be having some exciting stuff coming out in the new year. But um, we're, we're mostly in the US right now in, in San Francisco. But um, maybe I'll run into someone at, a, at an event or, or, um, in passing, but, um, yeah, reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. Awesome. Okay. Great connecting. And thanks for the time. All right. Thank you.